So, good morning, Granville Chapel. Great to see you all here this morning. Uh, I always think there's something a little bit sad about uh, this transition uh, from summer to the ordinary of September. Uh, the vacations are behind us, uh, the ordinary is looming, and we're just at the cusp this weekend of kind of going into that. But in saying that, you know what? It's the long weekend. <laughs> Tuesday's miles away, and it's still summer, really. So let's be on it, and uh, let's uh, see how we go this morning. My name's Andy Perrette. I'm the lead pastor here. Welcome to you if you are visiting. Uh, I know this is a time of all kinds of transitions in the city. People come in from outside to school and all kinds of stuff. Uh, if that's you, welcome. Good to see you here. Uh, and I'm seeing many familiar faces and people back, and uh, that's great, too, uh, to see you all here. So, it's been a summer, uh, and uh, we here at Granville Chapel have been working through a series uh, called Firm Foundations. And what we've been doing is looking at the values that we established a bunch of years ago uh, that we said were the kind of way we want to be as a church community. And uh, all our members actually sign off on these values and uh, subscribe to them. Uh, and uh, I think we've got a list of them up here. There they are, being Christ-centered, being Spirit-led. Uh, we have a big value around the Bible, around prayer, uh, loving one another, living out transformed lives, unity and diversity, and service. And as we've been teaching through these, these are not like a statement of faith. They're, they're, they're not kind of grounded in uh, anything other than hope, really. Uh, and every kind of organization has a set of values, but there's always the possibility that the values can just be a nice sheet of paper that you look at once in a while and go, oh, yeah. But the, the actual culture of a community can be miles away from the values it actually uh, expresses. And so by teaching through them this, uh, this summer, what we've been trying to do is remind us, first of all, that we have them. Uh, but more than that, to actually want to live them out and say, actually, there's a dynamic here that I think is healthy, uh, and if we as community can really embrace these and move forward, uh, I don't think we're going to go too far wrong. Uh, and a lot of these things feed into each other, right? You, you can't just take one uh, and say, this is the one. They all kind of impinge on each other uh, and, and work together uh, to, to, to happen. Anyway, that's the values, and today we come to the last of the values, uh, and the last of the values is service. And uh, I think we may be having a little problem up, up there, but uh, hey, uh, take it from me, the last of the values is service. And, uh, uh, and what we say about service as a community is this. Service, we encourage and equip each other to develop and share our God-given talents and spiritual gifts. Oh, there it is, that's good. Uh, in our community and the world. So there it is, that's a nice statement. And I like to take just a moment to think about how we worded it. Because there were a couple of things that I really like here. 
First of all, we say that we as a community are committed to encouraging and equipping each other. And I like those words. Uh, And I like the words because we don't use words like bully, badger, guilt-induce people uh, into serving. And service is really important. And it's so important that if people get pressured into serving then and doing things they'd rather not be doing, they're not going to stick with it. Well, let's face it, right? You know, if somebody kind of grinds you down and you finally say, oh, okay, it's never going to be fun. But if we can encourage and if we can equip people to serve and if we can hold a value up there of service as community, there is hope that people will get it, catch it. Uh, it becomes something that we can inc- really encourage each other into. And so I like that. I think, I think that's well put. Uh, secondly, there's an acknowledgement here that our gifts and talents are diverse and God-given. And I like that because that reminds us all that our gifts are not primarily our own. God gives the gifts, and they are given to us as the church for using. And it's not really an ego trip, ooh, I have this gift, or I have that gift. It's much more about, together, we receive God's good gifts, work out through His people, and as we come together in our diversity, we discover that God is doing something much bigger than any one of us could perhaps have imagined, uh, and we find ourselves in a place where we are going, wow, God is present among us, and He's at work among us, and He's using all our diversity for His glory. And that's good. And the last thing, just uh, looking at this statement that I, I like about it, is that we specifically recognize that the context for the use of our gifts is our community here at Granville Chapel, but also in the world beyond us. So just as we refuse to recognize the division between the so-called sacred and the secular, we also refuse to recognize a wall between what we know as the church and the world in which we are placed to serve. As William Temple, the Archbishop of Canterbury in the 1940s is supposed to have put it, the church is the only institution that exists for the benefit of those who are not its members. And that sense of the church being placed in the world to serve the world uh, means that there shouldn't be a, a kind of line where we say, oh, well, we want you to serve in church. We want you to serve in church. Absolutely we do. We are a community of service. But our community needs to extend way beyond this building. And it does. Because seated in the pews here, knowing some of you, not all of you, I know that people have uh, activities they're involved in, places where they are serving, that take them to all kinds of interesting parts of our city. And that's fantastic. And so I want to just start off by saying that although this is a kind of document and a piece of paper, 
I actually believe that in our community it is being worked out, and I'm hopeful about that, and it makes me happy to speak about that this morning. Anyway, perhaps the first question as we get at this one is, how well grounded is this value biblically? I mean, is there biblical warrant for making these kinds of statements uh, about what we think we should be as a community? Now, a few weeks ago, we looked at our value around Jesus. We want to say Jesus is the center. He's the one we look to in just about everything we want to do. And we never want to get too far from him. And so I was thinking about Jesus and service, and I thought about that interaction that Jesus had with his disciples when James and John and their mum, who was kind of pushy, you'll remember, uh, came to Jesus that time and, and, and she said, look, my boys are just fantastic. Now, every mum is supposed to believe that their, their kids are fantastic. There's not a problem with that. But she said, my boys are so great. I'd like you to have them up with you when you come in your glory. And I'd like one on the right and one on the left because they're really the best. And you remember, this, this kind of upset the other disciples. You remember? And, and it nearly became a big fist fight because they're all, you know, no, I'm better than you, I'm better than you. I'm... Uh, uh, just as a complete aside, I was down at um, the Whitecaps last night, and, uh, and, and uh, we, we had a, an interesting interaction in the row in front of us, where one guy was shouting something, and the other guy didn't... Hello. <laughs> <laughs> then we had a fist fight almost, uh, developing, so we're kind of breaking apart these people fighting. Anyway, fist fights are kind of fun, and I, I used to get in, <laughs> I used to get into them when I was in the police, and uh, so anyway, it just took me back. Anyway, uh, that's that's completely irrelevant to this. But but what I was was going to tell you was that in this story, James and John are there. Jesus is trying to break it all up, and what does he say uh, to his disciples at that time? He said. Whoever wants to be great among you must become your servant. And whoever wants to be the first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This exaltation of service as the highest form of leadership, servant leadership as it is actually known uh, out there in the, the secular world was not just a set of fancy words that Jesus liked to use. He constantly surprised the disciples by doing things that were not expected. The finest example is probably the moment in the upper room when he took a towel and a bowl of water and got down and washed the feet of the disciples. It was an act of shocking humility because it was a task that was usually reserved for the lowest slave. And Jesus, who the disciples by then had all figured out, was actually the Son of God, the Messiah, the Sent One, got down, got dirty, and washed their feet, much to their shock and shame. But even that wasn't the high point of Jesus' service. Because actually, Jesus was preparing all his life for that high point, which was the moment when he was going to lay down his life willingly on the cross at Calvary 
taking all that greatness that he had inherited from the Father and laying it down because that's what servant leaders do. They go to the end point, to death, in order that others might have life. So service is inherently caught up with the way that Jesus chose to lead. And the cross was, for Jesus, the place of victory in which he overturned the power and the pride of leadership on the earth and demonstrated that love and service wins in the end. The passage we had read today comes from the Apostle Paul's first letter to the Christians in Corinth. Corinth was a rough, tough port city with plenty of competing religious and philosophical systems rumbling around. The church there was not immune from the struggles of the city, which is why Paul had to write several hard-hitting letters to them. In chapter 12, Paul addresses the subject of spiritual gifts and uses the analogy of the church as the body of Christ. Central to his description of the body is the idea of one body, but many different parts. Just as a body has, the function, has, the, has to function as a unity, so the church is a collection of many people with different gifts and abilities who are called into Team Jesus. You remember we looked at that last week. Uh, in order to fulfill a common purpose and identity. So Paul reminds the Christians that they are truly the body of Christ in the sense that they are His physical representation in the world. And every one of them is part of the body of Christ. If they're part of the body, then they have value and a role to play, just as every single cell in, uh, in my body functions to help me function, right? We've all got a role to play. And some of those roles are kind of big and obvious. Others are less obvious, but they all matter. And the whole body has a problem if one part of it is not functioning well. So, in the same way, no Christian, as part of a local expression of the body of Christ, is part of the team without a function. Now, the bad news there is that there is no room for passengers in the church. But the good news is that we're all part of the crew. Right? Does that make sense? So no passengers, all crew. We all have a function. If we are going to be the body of Christ here, then we all have a part to play in being the community here. Paul then launches into a list of spiritual gifts, which we can think of as roles and functions within the operations of the body of Christ. This is just one of the lists we find in the New Testament, and all the lists are different, which suggests that they were not intended to be an exhaustive list of all the possible gifts out there. Rather, we should think of them as varied blessings that God pours out on His church, uh, and there are many of them. And there are many of us, and there are many gifts probably that are unique to you and me and everyone here. 
Paul tells the Corinthian believers some of the gifts God gives to people in the church are apostles, prophets, teachers, miracle workers, gifts of healing, helping others, administration, and different kinds of tongues. And he seems to suggest here that some of these gifts are in some senses greater than others. Apparently, the church in Corinth made a big deal about the gift of speaking in tongues, which is perhaps why Paul put it really low on the list. Uh, There are other things more important, he's saying. And then he asks a series of questions. Are all apostles? The answer he clearly expects is no. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. And so on down the list. Gifts, then, are distributed by the Spirit to the members of the body of Christ. And Paul urges the Corinthians to eagerly desire the greater gifts. And I think this is a collective instruction. This is not any one individual Corinthian Christian saying, oh, I've got this gift, but I like this gift and this gift and this gift, because they're all greater. But he's he's saying, no, to you as the body of Christ, the ones that are really going to help you move forward and push forward are things like apostles who are going to dream big for you. And then that teaching gift is going to be important too. And the prophetic is going to matter because they're the things they're going to help you move your body of Christ wherever you are uh, into direct line with the will of God uh, as He seeks for you to be a witness uh, in the world. So it is worth noting that all these spiritual gifts and all other spiritual gifts not mentioned here are gifts for service. They're not for collecting like stamps or scout badges. They're for using in the service of the great mission of the church to bring in the kingdom of God. Now, some of you here this morning are new to the faith or new to this church. And perhaps you are wondering, how can I become a part of this community that exists here? To you, the short answer is serve. I've been doing this pastoring bit for a while. Uh, It's taken me a while to figure it out. But I think there are basically two sorts of people. There are the people who come to be served, and then then there are the other sort of people who come to serve. And what I know, having been around, what, nearly 14 years now, is that the kind of people who stay are the people who serve. Makes sense, doesn't it? Because if you come to be served, well, you're going to keep on looking for the next best show down the road or whatever. You'll be, you'll be looking for the, you know, brilliant speaking and fantastic worship and all that kind of stuff. And you'll be so busy looking for that that you'll just keep on moving. But the other kind of people, the people that represent that other uh, demographic, are the ones who come in and learn to serve, who roll their sleeves up and say, what's going on around here? How can I get involved? And so if you're new, I would just like to point out that there are many opportunities around this community for service. So, for example, Tuesday evening at 5.30, we have a gang of people coming in to deep clean the kitchen, ready for a busy fall. Show up at 5.30. There will be pizza, I'm promised. Ideally, bring rubber gloves. 
We're going to go through the kitchen, sort out all the cupboards, clean them, make them all fresh and new, and have everything tickety-boo. Is that not right, Christina? That's the plan. So there's a plan. There's a service opportunity. Uh, or find Daryl. Daryl is the guy out the back there who's kind of making sure that all is well. There he is. Hello, Daryl. Give us a wave there. There's Daryl right in the corner. Go and find Daryl. Daryl is always building teams for hospitality and welcome in our community. Now you say, well, I don't know anyone in this community. Brilliant. You are exactly the kind of person we need to have on the door meeting people. In a short while, you will meet many people. All you say is, hi, my name is, and they will know your name. Brilliant. You will be known. Serving, you see, you get in. And uh, if you can make tea and coffee, there's always opportunities there. And these are the kind of ways you, you have to find your way into community. We've got all kinds of other things going on. Susan Robertson uh, is not here today, but uh, she's somebody that runs our children's ministry, and she's always looking to build teams. There's teams in the nursery. There's teams up there looking after kids. Uh, Mike Bennett is looking for people to work with our youth and looking for volunteer opportunities there. Maybe you've got gifts. Bring them to the table. Look for those opportunities. You will find your way in, and in short order, you will discover that you belong. That's how it works. Serving is good. Get that? Let's say that after me. Serving is good. That's right. And if you run out of opportunities here within our community, then there's all kinds of not-for-profit not organizations and possibilities beyond us. We have people working in all kinds of contexts, uh, many of whom are just crying out for people to serve. So, there's tons of opportunity. I want to wrap this up this morning by referring us to a line or two from Philippians 2. This is also written by Paul. But we read this, and uh, some think that this was an ancient hymn that he actually incorporated uh, into his letter to the Philippians. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Now, I think this is a very, very important phrasing and, uh, and comment, particularly this verse 7. So, Christian theology is fascinated, rightly, by what Jesus did by coming to the earth. He left behind all the glory of heaven, His complete intimacy with the Father, and he took on himself, what did he take on himself? The very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. So what this suggests is that the very identity of humanity is built around service. In short, we were made to be servants. 
That's what it's saying, right? We were born to be servants. So when we serve, we are actually most fully ourselves. Most fully alive. It's the way we were meant to be and made to be. Now, so much of human society is kind of upside down and backwards and mixed up. The people who get the glory are usually the people who've done the best things or established the most power or got the most resources or been the most brilliant in in whatever they do. They're the ones who get lauded and acclaimed and praised and put up on the, on the, the pedestal, right? But actually, the kingdom of God that Jesus came to bring is an upturning of all that. It's a, a shaking, it's a, it's a reverting, if you like, to what things were supposed to be like. And you know that the true test of life will not be, did you get the glory? down here. But will you get the glory from Jesus looking at you and saying what? Well done, good and faithful servant. That's the biggest prize. So I think for all of us here this morning, the question as we think about service should be, if that is true, then where and who am I serving? And if, as you're honest with yourself, you discover that actually I'm not serving anybody right now, except myself, maybe, then clearly we need a bit of a rethink. And we need a bit of a reset on what our life is about. And the question should be, if I'm not serving now, what is that going to mean for me in six months' time? And how could I change that so that I can actually say, when someone, if someone was to grab me and say, hey, who are you serving? I would be able to say, ah, well... I'm serving these people in this context and these people in this context and these people in this context. And you'll be healthier for it and more human for it. And you'll be more in line with your calling as a member of the body of Christ because you are serving. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you so much for your word which gets at us and pushes us and prods us and reminds us of big truth. And Lord Jesus, we thank you that you came among us uh, not uh, as a great king, but as a lowly servant. And you modeled for us a lifestyle of service and of humility and of looking out for the last and the lost and the least. 
and you invite us into that same approach to life. Lord Jesus, uh, we often get it wrong. We often get confused. Our world doesn't think like this. Our world seems to think that uh, the greatest honor is to be served and to be at the top table. And Lord, you remind us that the greatest honor is actually to find opportunities to bless and care for uh, and find people that are in need and meet those needs. So teach us, Lord, what it means to serve, we pray. And may you be glorified to the extent that we, as a representation of the body of Christ here in this place, learn to serve and care for others. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.